0: Good morning again, good to see you all. I got a few good mornings back. This crowd is a little more awake, all right. Uh, Glad you guys are here, and I'm excited just to uh, share a little bit from scripture with you today. We've been in this series called All In. We've been kind of looking at what does it mean to be a part of a local church family? We acknowledge that anyone who is a follower of Jesus, who said, I want Jesus to be the center of my life, is a part of God's family. Uh, you don't have to apply or, or go through a process or a class. You're, you're in God's family if you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus. But as we look at how the church sort of uh, proceeds, it gets laid out in the New Testament, that these people who say, Jesus is my Lord, become part of a local expression of the body of Christ in the community in which they live. That's just kind of how it, it sort of works. And so what does that mean? What does that look like to be a part of a local church family? And for us specifically, what does it mean to be a part of Cicero Christian Church as as a church family? Uh, So we've talked over the last few weeks about, uh, who we're becoming as individuals, and who we're becoming as a church, and the kinds of things that we do as a church. What what is it that we do, and how do we we base that on Scripture? So today, uh, I want to talk a little bit as we wrap up this series on uh, leadership. What does leadership look like in our church family? I think that's a question a lot of people have when you you come into a, a church or an organization, and and there's some questions about like, okay, who, who's who's sort of in charge here? Who's sort of running running this thing? Um, I, I remember when I got married and I became a part of my wife's family that's that's kind of what happens is is these these people we call in-laws and they, and they're now my family and so my questions as I'm coming into this family is like all right who who are these people? why do they do the things they do're they're, they're different from me we grew up in different parts of the country and why do they talk the way they talk I mean Midwesterners claim they don't talk funny but but friends you, you do um, uh, and why do they talk this way? Why do they eat the things they eat? Why do they have these traditions when they gather for you know uh, Thanksgiving or, or Christmas or whatever? It, it was all new to me. But one of the questions that you're asking is like, who's who's sort of running this show here in this family? Like, who's, who's kind of in charge? Who kind of is, is calling the shots? And, and who does everybody look to to make, you know, when they're making decisions and, and conversations? And and so over the years, I've, I've come to believe that um, the person kind of at the center is, is actually my wife. She's, she's The whole thing sort of revolves around her. And so I'm like, yes, I picked the winner. I picked the right one. Um, so... That, that's a question that we have when we come in, especially into a church, you're asking the questions like, okay, how, how does this work? Like who's sort of behind the scenes, who's sort of uh, making all this function? And once again, the answer is my wife. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's not actually how that works here. but that's a question that people have and they ask. And I want to help you understand what that looks like here because, uh, churches are different, right? All, all kinds of churches are different. Um, we, we are on board with every church that believes in Jesus and, and, um, believes that he's the son of God and he's our, our way to heaven. Uh, they're all our brothers and sisters, but every church is different. And so when it comes to church leadership, what does it look like here? Because uh, in, in denominational type churches, we're not a denominational church, but denomination just means kind of there's like a there's a system for either the country or the region or even maybe the world that sort of coordinates and organizes the church and makes makes things happen and determines doctrine and how leadership is gonna work. We're we're not a denominational church. We're a we're a church that came from a movement called the Restoration Movement that started a couple hundred years ago. In fact, Cicero Christian Church would be one of the earlier. Churches in this movement. We were planted in 1837. We're 184 years old as a church, looking pretty good for our age. But 184 years ago, this movement launched this church here in Cicero. And the movement was all about kind of saying, like, we, the rest, it's called the restoration movement because it said, we just want to restore the New Testament, Church. we just want to do church the way the Bible says to do church, which sounds really simple, but actually, there it's you, You have to kind of understand, you know, contextual things and like, how do we, what does this look like in our day and time? But our goal is just to read the New Testament, the book of Acts, the letters of Paul and Peter and John and say, all right, this seems to be what God had in mind for the local church. This is what we want to do. So according to the New Testament, what does leadership look like in a restoration movement Church, So we want to we kind of answer that question today and introduce you to some of our leaders. We'll have a couple of uh, our elders on stage here in just a few minutes to share a little bit from their heart about uh, their role in leadership and what that looks like to them. One thing I just want to acknowledge as we're, as we're sort of diving into this is that as a culture, we are somewhat skeptical and suspicious of people in positions of power or authority, and, and rightly so. There have been cases, and, and we could all name, uh, probably list many, where, where people have abused power for their own benefit or to oppress or hold down other people. And uh, unfortunately, that's even happened in churches and places where you feel like this should be the place where we should be able to count on people to use uh, influence and authority in ways that actually lift others up. But unfortunately, that's even happened in churches. So what we want to acknowledge is there's there's sort of this like uh, a little bit of suspicion or hesitancy or uncertainty when it comes to talking about authority and, and power in our culture, because it's so easy for it to become abusive and um, for self, selfish gain and things like that. So we acknowledge that. And and what we want to talk about today is like our, our leadership and the way we do things here. um, It's not perfect. It's not perfect. We're, we're, we focus on direction, not perfection. You guys remember that? We say that a lot, direction, not perfection. And the direction that our leadership is moving in is to keep Jesus at the center of who we are as individual followers and who we are as a church family. And so on a day-to-day basis, do we, do we make mistakes? Do we get that wrong sometimes? Yes, we do, because we're not, we're not perfect. Uh, but our direction is always gonna be to say, hey, when we screw up, we're gonna own it. We're, we're gonna acknowledge that, and uh, we're gonna seek forgiveness, and we're gonna, move, we're gonna keep going in this direction of Jesus at the center, of who we are as individual followers of Christ and who we are as a church family. So with that in mind, let's, let's take a look at what does Scripture say about leadership? Does Scripture talk about leadership and how do we, how do we know what good leadership is supposed to look like in the church? Well, with, as, as with anything that we talk about uh, relating to our faith, it all starts with Jesus. So what did Jesus say about leadership? Well, fortunately, we do have uh, Jesus's words and his example on this subject. In Mark chapter 10, a couple of his disciples have sort of decided, they're like sort of, they're they're probably just better than everybody else. They're probably better than all the other disciples. And they just want Jesus to kind of acknowledge that. They just kind of go to him and say, would you just... Would you mind making it clear to everyone that we're, we're actually your favorite disciples? We're actually the best disciples. And when it, comes to, when it comes time to handing out, you know, crowns and power and salaries, like we're gonna be at the top of the list. Would you just acknowledge that for everyone? And so here's how Jesus responds to that request from these two knuckleheads named James and John. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So Jesus sort of lays out, here's what leadership looks like in the world. There is someone at the top of the organization or the family or the whatever, and that person has all the power and authority, and they just pretty much tell everybody how it's going to be. And you have to get in line with this person and and, and their rules and their expectations, or or you're out. And, And that's sort of how leadership works in the world, Jesus says. The world around us is kind of run this way. Somebody at the top, and these these people, his listeners would have been very familiar with this is how the Roman government worked. They had a, a Caesar, right? And Caesar sort of what, what he said, that's, that's how things went. He had all the power and the authority. That's, that's how it works in the world. But Jesus says, verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. That's not how we're gonna do things in the kingdom of God. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. If you wanna serve, if you wanna lead in the kingdom of God, you go to the bottom, you go to the back of the line. Which is really easy for someone to say. But then Jesus backs it up with his own actions. For he says, for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I'm not just telling you what to do, I'm gonna show you what to do. I'm gonna show you what good leadership looks like. And then he washes their dirty, stinky feet because he became a servant. And then he goes to the cross as an innocent man to bear the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, because he's a servant. And he said, this is how we lead in the church, in the kingdom of God. This is what leadership looks like. You become a servant, first and foremost, and that's, that's, that's our model. That's, that's what we are trying to do here is that anyone who wants leadership, influence, authority within the church, the, the direction, it begins with this. Can you be a servant? Can you be a servant, first of all? Because if you can't be a servant, you can't lead in the kingdom of God. So that's where we start. So in... Um, In the restoration movement, the way leadership uh, works, the way we see it laid out in scripture is that churches are sort of led or the spiritual responsibility, this is the way I I, uh, think um, Paul and Peter actually lay this out. The spiritual responsibility for the church family is given to uh, a group called the elders. And the elders are selected by the church family. And in some sense, we believe they're called by God into that role. And they take spiritual responsibility for the church family. And so we have elders uh, here and and we'll hear from a couple of them here in just a minute. So um, this is, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what those elders, and then we also have pastoral staff and kind of what they do. So first of all, leaders in the church, in the kingdom of God, are accountable to God and to the church family. So there's no one here that's outside of accountability. There's no one uh, here that would ever ever have any influence that also doesn't have built-in accountability. People who are standing beside them and, and helping them and looking for their blind spots and watching and making sure that we're leading in a way that's consistent with the teachings of Jesus. We're accountable to God and to the church family. Here's what Peter says. And remember, Peter was one of the twelve disciples. He was Uh, the guy who preached the big sermon on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people uh, accepted Jesus, he's the guy who sort of became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Here's what Peter says about leadership in the local church. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 2. Um, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So the way Peter lays it out here is very much in line with what Jesus said when it comes to being a servant. He says, your job is not to wield power or authority. Your job is to care for, uh, to to have compassion for, to meet the needs of the church family, and ultimately to set an example uh, in, in the way that you live. That's how that's uh, laid out by Peter. Uh, The way that uh, the Hebrews writer uh, says it in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 17, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. This is a spiritual responsibility. As those who will have to give an account, the Hebrews writer would say, any person who has leadership or influence within the church family will someday stand before God and hear this question. What did you do with the leadership, with the authority, with the influence that I gave you? What did you do with it? Did you use it for yourself? Did you use it to benefit yourself or to hold people down or to protect yourself? Or did you use it for the glory of God and to build up the people? Every leader will hear that question one day. I get a little shiver just thinking about that, but that's, that's where I'm headed. So, so let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So ultimately, the the. The recommendation here is cooperate. Let's cooperate. Let's work together. Because we're all moving in the same direction, right? We're, ideally, we're all moving toward a Jesus-centered life, a Jesus-centered church family. So let's cooperate. Let's do this together. Uh, again, I think we have a, a culture where, where there's suspicion and skepticism sort of built in when it comes to people with authority and power. And uh, here's, here's what we, we want to model and we want you to know uh, from, from our church family is that our leadership, our goal is always to go to the bottom, to serve, uh, to lift up, to hold up, to care for, and not to wield authority. There should never be a situation where we get into language like what Peter warns against, this domineering kind of thing, is not, not who we are as followers of Jesus. And that's not what leadership looks like. Here. So leaders are accountable to God and to the church family. And then second, leaders are given by God to equip the church family for ministry. Uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter five. Uh, here's what he says in verse 11. He, chapter four, sorry. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the reason why you have people in your church who are, who are gifted as leaders, apostles, preachers, teachers is so that the whole church family will be equipped for ministry. So we, we need to get this clear because sometimes I think there's this misunderstanding that, well, that, isn't that like when it comes to the mission you know, of, of going and making disciples in, in all of the world and in our community, isn't that why we pay the staff, right? Isn't that why we pay a preacher and we pay a, a youth minister? And we, like, isn't that why we have paid staff so they can go and do the ministry, uh, of, of the kingdom in our community. Well, if you think about it this way, if, if this community were your responsibility, Northern Hamilton County, uh, 11,000, 12,000 people, uh, were your responsibility, and you looked at it and you go, hey, there's, there's, there's about five 6,000 people here who love Jesus and, and are sort of all in with Jesus, and there's, there's five or 6,000 people in this community who really don't know Jesus or are not following Jesus, but your desire was for all of these people to know Christ and know his love for them and to know that they're invited into the family of God. And you, you had this option. I could take these six people who uh, have this you know, Bible college thing by their name and I could just try to use this six people to reach these five or 6,000 or I could have these six people actually equip 400 people and those 400 people go and reach the community, which, which sounds like a better plan. 400, 400 sounds better than six, right? That's, that's the plan, that, that we're here, our leadership and our staff are here to equip you for ministry. Every follower of Jesus, every person who declares Jesus is Lord is a minister. You're a minister, congratulations. Checks in the mail, right? Okay, every person here is a minister and it's, it's my job, and it's the job of the elders and staff here to make sure that you are equipped for ministry. So the reason why, We do microchurch and we do classes and we have these five, two, you know about our five, two principles uh, and we have this training. The reason why we do all of this is to equip you for ministry. And if you're involved in all of that, I believe that you are being equipped, that you are growing as a person who can go into our community, and invite everyone to life with Jesus. That's that's the goal. That's what we're moving uh, towards. Um, That's the direction we're headed. So that's the job of the leaders. The leaders are accountable to God and the church family. The leaders are here to equip the church family. So what what's the church family's job? The church family's job is to receive leadership, to allow people to guide you. Uh, I think sometimes we have this individualist spirit, this independent spirit. We we guys say, I don't I don't really need anybody. I've got a Bible. Like I don't need anybody to 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 point me in a direction. I've got a Bible. You know, just leave, leave me alone. Let me do my thing. But that's not how God set the church up. He He set the church up so that we would work together. We would learn from each other. We would grow together. And so part of that is just the humility to say I. I could use some guidance. I could use somebody to come alongside and equip me for ministry. I think I could do better at this if I had somebody who's farther down the road, who has more training, more experience to guide me. So uh, Hebrews writer again in, verse, in chapter 13, verse seven, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He says, "Consider the outcome of their way of life." So you should look at the leadership of the church, and you should evaluate it, and you should say, "Is this person moving in the direction of Jesus-centered living?" If I were more like this person, would I be a better follower of Jesus? And if your answer to that is no, then we have a problem. If you if you looked at my life and you said, "If I were more like Adam, I I, I think I'd be a worse Jesus follower." Right then, that's a that's a problem. That's where this accountability comes in. Where you should be able to come to our leadership and say, "Hey, I see a pattern in the life of a leader that doesn't look like Jesus centered living. We we have a problem. We need to talk about this." But so that's part of your job is to to consider the way of life of the leaders and what you see that's good, imitate that. Paul would say something that that man it would just uh, it would just terrify me to say, but Paul would say, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." That's a, that's a bold uh, declaration. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I want as a leader to be able to say that. I believe all of our leaders would love to be able to look at you and go, hey, I, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. I, I know that if you imitated everything that I do, you'd make a lot of mistakes. But I, I want more than anything for Jesus to be at the center of my life. And, and if that's what you want to, I think we can help each other. I think we can do, I think we can make each other better and we can work together uh, to, to move in that direction. So that's, that's, that's the goal. I want to show you just a, a picture of this because I, I do better with graphics, with visual images. So I want to show you what this looks like uh, in a visual sense. And then we're going to have a couple of our elders come up and share with you from their hearts, uh, kind of why they do what they do and how they see that. So when we talk about servant leadership, this circle sort of represents the, the mission and ministry of the church. That is, we're inviting everyone to life with Jesus. We're caring for each other well. We're doing all the one another's of the Bible, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That's, that's all of, of what's happening in a church family. So um, wh- where does the leadership fit in? So we have this upside down triangle. Now, uh, Jesus would say in the world, this triangle is right side up. And there's someone at the top that has all the power and authority and And everybody's Has to fall in line uh, with them. But Jesus says in the kingdom of God, it's upside down. And the person with all the power and authority in the church is at the bottom. And who's that? It's not me. Who has all the power and authority? Who was able to look in Matthew chapter 28 to look at all the disciples and say, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me as Jesus. As Jesus. Jesus is the one who has all the power. And all the authority. But his model, the way that he lived out his leadership, was to give away influence and authority. And so what Jesus does, he looks at these disciples, he says, All authority has been given to me, therefore you go. I am I am giving you influence. I am giving you authority to go and live out the mission and take the gospel all over the world. So Jesus gave away influence and authority. And so uh, the next uh, group of people that he gives that to is to the leaders of the church. The elders of the church are, are given this influence and authority for the purpose of uh, doing what Jesus would do with it, right? If, 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 if the elders are, are doing their job, they're doing exactly what Jesus would do with his influence and authority if he were here. It's not our authority, it's not our influence. It, we are stewards of it. Uh, we, we're just we just get to hold on to it for a little minute, and we do with it what Jesus would do with it if He were standing right here in front of you today. So as the elders do that, they invest, they give away influence and authority, just like Jesus would, just like Jesus does, um, to uh, the, the pastoral staff. So this is, these are the people who you know we've we've had training. We went to Bible college. We've been uh, doing ministry. I've been doing ministry for twenty. Uh, math gets hard. Twenty-two years, twenty-three years. I don't know. Uh, And so I bring that experience and everything to this church family to try to help us. Uh, And and my job then, and the job of our pastoral staff is then to equip the next level of of leadership, which is our lay leaders. Lay leaders is just a term we use for the people who are ministers and aren't getting paid for it, right? So you you go to a job and then you come and you volunteer your time here or you, you live out your ministry at your workplace, whatever that looks like. And so, so my job and the job of our pastoral staff is to equip uh, our lay leaders. We have a team ministry system here that uh, anybody that's a coach uh, or a team minister, uh, you're filling, if you're a coach or a team minister here, you're filling the role that the Bible called deacon. That's a, that's a deacon role. You've, you've seen that term. Deacon is just a word that means servant. And so you're a servant in the church who has some influence and you have a specific jobs to do. And so then, then your job as a lay leader, as a, a team ministry uh, coach or, or team leader, is to then equip and empower the, the, the volunteers, the people that you serve. And so each of us have someone that we're serving and our volunteers then, then go into the community and, and we serve the community just like we're gonna do next Sunday when we, we don't have our worship service. And when we first started doing this, it's our fourth year doing the service day. When we first started doing this, we had people like, so when, when, is, uh, when, do, we, when do we come into the big room and, and, do, and do worship? I was like, well, we're not, we're not gonna do that, but, then, but, but we have to do that. That's what you do on Sundays, right? You come into the big room and you do worship on, on Sundays, right? Well, yeah, but we're gonna actually worship in a bigger room uh, out there and we're gonna worship through serving our community. And this is what this looks like. This starts with Jesus, his influence and authority being, being passed, being given away to elders, to pastors, to lay leaders, and to all the church family. Every Christian is a minister, and we go into our community and we minister in a way that invites people to life with Jesus. That's what that looks like. And the result of this, this is what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter four. Let's circle back to that. The result of all, if we do this right, if, we're, if we keep moving in this direction, Here's here's what Paul would say will happen. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that we will be united in our faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we will know Jesus. And to mature manhood, that we will grow up as a church family to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, like grow all the way up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul says, there are forces in the world that will work against the health and effectiveness of the church. Do you believe that? Do you see that? Are there forces in the world that are working against the health and effectiveness of the church, the kingdom of God? Yes, division, disunity, false teaching, work against. And Paul says, here's the answer. We're, we're going we're, we're gonna to equip each other for the ministry so that we're growing up, we're maturing together, and those forces have no power here. Those forces have no power to divide us. Whatever's out there that's creating division has no power to divide the people of the kingdom of God because we're united by Christ. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined together, held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says, if you get this right, if you move in this direction, if you have servant leaders who are giving away influence and authority, then you're you're maturing as a church family and you're gonna be able to resist all the forces that are trying to separate and divide and limit the effectiveness of the church family in the world, and, and you wrap all of this up in love. That's our goal. That's what we're moving toward. And again, uh, we don't get this right every day. There, there are times when we, we make mistakes. Uh, our, our intention is to own those mistakes and seek forgiveness and continue to move in the direction of a Jesus-centered church family that invites everyone to life with Jesus. All right, so I want you to hear from a couple of our elders. Uh, we've got um, Keith Schottmer and uh, Russ Densdorf are gonna come up and join us and uh, share a little bit about their hearts Um, for the church family and their role in ministry. And um, I'm gonna stand here awkwardly while they get their stools set. So these guys have both uh, been in leadership here in a variety of ways for many years, but have been elders for Uh, how long for you?
1: uh This is, this would be my fifth year as an elder.
0: Fifth year and Russ. Just a couple, couple years. Um, rookies. No, uh, these these guys have both been following Jesus for a really long time and are are fully devoted to Him and to the church family. So um, just to start with, can you share a little bit about um, since it's pretty fresh for both of you? Like, how how did you become an elder? Like what? What was going on in your heart uh, that, that led you to accept this, this role in the church?
1: Yeah, I was baptized into this church in 1996, so that was before this building was even built, but uh, still 38 years old and just continued uh, to grow in my faith. And You know, you get that feeling sometimes that there's just something more that you're being called into. It's, it's nothing you can really explain very well. You, you just know it. And I pushed back on that for a lot of years, actually, uh, to be honest, before I I felt like that I was ready to accept the calling, and uh, the rest has kind of been history, so that was, like I said, about uh, five years ago.
2: Um, Well, I've been a disciple for, since 1984, whatever that is, 36 years, Um, and uh, served God in some different ways, but um, I'd been approached you know, about being an elder, and at first I really had some serious reservations. Really, I think it kind of boiled down to, am I really qualified? And um, I, I, I wrestled with that a tremendous amount because um, I, I just wanted to honor God and do, do the right thing and uh, had lots of conversations, lots of prayer, lots more conversations, lots of searching the scriptures on what God had to say. But ultimately, I think I came to the conclusion, the conviction that um, there was a place for me to be able to help and serve and uh, build up this church. And so I decided that's, that's what God was leading me to do.
0: Great. As you guys uh, think about Cicero Christian Church, who we are as a church, what, what do you hope for us? What do you, what do you hope we are, we are moving towards, we're becoming? What do you hope to see us do? Uh, just to share about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I I think we certainly need to stay true to our mission statement, if you will. Uh, If you open up our web page for Cicero Christian Church, right in the front, very top, it says, lead others to a life with Christ. And and I think that's kind of where we start and stop here. Now, there's a lot of components to that. Uh, You know, we get healthy as a church first. We continue to do that by our own individual growth. Uh, Adam talked about it, what, two weeks ago on uh, Romans 12, two, about how we, we continue to grow our own lives and that we're transformed. But it, it doesn't stop there. We use that transformation to be able to fulfill that, that mission we're talking about. And he also made the comment that uh, the church is as strong as the sum of its members. So we need to continue and assist each other in that, that personal growth.
2: I, I think for me, there's, I mean, there's a, whole host of things um, that I could share about that I hope the church um, grows and becomes. But one of the things is gratitude. Um, I think gratitude is such a powerful thing. I I think about my own life. Um, You know, God worked in my life to call me to become a disciple, and um, I resisted like crazy. Um, for a number of years, especially in in college. Um, And that's kind of stiff-armed him, but he was incredibly persistent and uh, kept reaching out to me. And finally, my heart softened and I I gave in and said, you're right. And it it struck me, because one of the things that I always wanted was, I, I always wanted to have a best friend. And I had a lot of buddies, but I never had a best friend. And it struck me probably, it was about six months after I became a Christian. I was out, I was praying out at Eagle Creek and it struck me that Jesus is that friend I always wanted and I'd never been able to find. And um, I'm so grateful just to be a disciple of Jesus, to have his mission, to be part of his church is 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 i mean those things are the greatest things in my life it 's an incredible honor uh, to be a disciple of his and so I think one of the one of the hopes that I have as a, as a congregation is that we our hearts are really filled we realize
0: what an incredible gift we have yeah. Yeah. that's great thank you so how do you see when you, you think about who you want us to become as a church, and 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 what's ahead of us? How do you, how do you see your role as as an elder, a shepherd, a servant leader, in helping us get where God is taking us?
1: Certainly, I think a lot of it does come back to our individual growth, all of us included, to get to where we need to go. Uh, but as our role as elders to do that, one of the things we need to do is, is help eliminate distractions or things that keep us from that. Sometimes the best way to move forward is to not move backwards. And, uh, you know, that may sound a bit odd in our Christian walk, but I, I think we would all agree if we thought about it, there's, there's some validity to that. Yeah. So that's not just true for us as individuals, but also true for us as a church, that if we take our eye off the ball at all of what our ministry is, is to share Jesus with others, then we're moving backwards. Uh, we have to guard ourselves a little bit that, that we don't become a church that's just where everybody comes to be fed. I mean, there's certainly want you to be fed here. That's not my point at all. But we don't want it to stop there. And I think that's how we can move forward is if we certainly do get fed here, but we don't want that to be our objective to walk out at the end of a Sunday and feel like our obligation is met, that it's a seven-day-a-week job for, for all of us. So so I, I think that's what we can help with, uh, certainly certainly shepherding. And that's that's a word that, that maybe is a bit odd to some people. What does that really mean? Am, am I being shepherded Shepherded, or am I not? And it, it's nothing that formal at all when, when we talk about shepherding. People. We all do it, by the way. It's not just the elders, as Adam said, in the staff's job, but we all have people we should shepherd. But most of it's pretty casual. Rarely is it an appointment or a said time. It's usually those conversations that we have just to help people and, and empathize with them and share with them and, and share God's love if, if, if that's the appropriate time. Um, and uh, that's certainly part of how we move forward as well.
2: I think for me, one of the things is simply to practice what I preach. Um, I mean, to to really live out the convictions that I say that I have, that I see in the scriptures. Um, I think another thing is uh, to be transparent with my life. Um, I mean, I, I wrestle with my selfish nature all the time. And to be able to... Um, to share about that and grow in Christ I think is is helpful yeah. um, and I, I think um, like Keith shared you know the whole shepherding I mean that's I, I think is, is is paramount to you know what we're to do and to, to really build up and encourage and serve and um, be with be with people and I think one of the role that I I see is I mean I've been uh, trained and taught some different things, and I think just with our leadership team to be able to share some of those things uh, and pass some of those things on.
0: Great. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing a little bit, and I know that um, um, you care deeply about this church family and uh, have made sacrifices to uh, to serve and 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 bless people here, and I'm uh, grateful for that. And thank you for your vulnerability as well, just acknowledging that we're we're works in progress also. Um, so, thank, thank you for for that. And I just want to invite you guys. We're just going to uh, uh, pray for our, our leaders. Would you uh, stand with me? Father, we thank you so much for the way that you set the church up to function. Uh, that that Jesus is in charge, and our our job really is to do what He tells us to do, to obey Him, be faithful to His. Uh, his teaching and his way of life. And we thank you for the the way that he served. And we pray that um, that as our leadership seeks to to be like Jesus, that we would serve this church family in a way that that grows us all up and helps us to become more effective at uh, caring for each other well, loving each other well, and also inviting people to life. Uh, with Jesus. Would you do that in and among us and through all the people that you've called to be a part of this who are, are, we're broken people, but we're we're loved by you and um, just desperate to have Jesus stay right at the center. So would you do that in and among us, uh, Father, to your glory so that uh, more and more people who come to declare Jesus as Lord of their lives uh, as a result of what's happening here, God, we get to say uh, you did it. You did all the good things are because of you. Um, thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, thanks for uh, praying for our leaders. I ask you that you continue to do that. Um, we're, uh, we're gonna see just, uh, uh, we're gonna get to participate in a baptism, a young man here. Jesus has just made an incredible difference in his life. So you can have a seat and we're going to celebrate the baptism together. Let's do that.